Well, are you guys ready for the new year? I'm telling you what, I am so excited for 2023. Because, guys, I believe that in 2023, we are going to see more of God's glory, more of his favor, more of his goodness. We're going to see more people giving their lives to Christ. We're going to see more disciples made. Come on, can somebody help me this morning? We're going to see more impact in our city. And I believe that because God has called us to go from glory to glory. God desires to move both in us and through us in powerful ways. Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 says, in him. Now, we've got to first make sure that we're in him, that we're not in ourselves and not in the world. Hello? But in him, we live and we move and we have our being. Friends, God has never intended for us to be stationary. Or to live a dormant life. But rather, he has called us to be agents of change to our world. Not just to sit back and wait until we safely arrive at death. And I'll tell you that there's nothing that's more rewarding than being a part of what God is doing. I mean, like anything that you could come up with is second best at best. Are you hearing me this morning? I don't know how many of you have uh, any resolutions for this new year, but I'll tell you what I'm convinced of. The best resolution that we could ever possibly have is to seek the purpose of God, to surrender to it, and then start to take steps of obedience towards it. Listen, I don't know about you guys, but I do not want to be a sideline Christian. Hello? I don't want to just sit back and sit the bench and watch everyone else part, play a part in the purpose of God. And if you're here and maybe you've been content to just sit on the sideline watching everyone else, I've just got to let you know that you are missing out on some of the best parts of your Christian walk. Ephesians 2 and, and verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But somehow it seems like that in the church we've become content with singing about it and with talking about it, but actually coming up short of doing it. Like I feel like oftentimes in the church we look like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. Come on, how many of y'all remember that movie? I used to be a youth pastor, so I'm pretty sure I've seen that movie like 50 times. But in the movie, Uncle Rico kept talking about the way things used to be, the good old days. But he was so caught up in the past that it was preventing him from experiencing the present. Now, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so forward in this new year, but is that you? Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing now. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I think that oftentimes whenever we hear a verse like that, because I know that's a very familiar verse to, to a lot of you, but we can start easily start thinking of the things that we don't want to remember like our, our mistakes and, and our 
failures, and, and certainly we certain shouldn't be uh, dwelling on those things. But what if God wasn't just talking about our shortcomings? Like what if he was talking about how he used to move in the past? And what if this verse contains both an encouragement but also a warning? An encouragement in that God is doing a new thing, and anything that God is doing is a good thing because God is good. But could it also be a warning that if you will continue in the ways of the past, you will miss what God is doing in the present, what he's doing now. That's why the scripture says, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? One thing that I have found after spending a couple decades studying God's word is that people have the same tendencies today that they had just a few thousand years ago. As a matter of fact, we can look, and history will be a, a good a teacher for us if we will, will look and listen. But history's filled with those who started out walking in obedience to what God had called them once to do, but when he moved, they didn't. Like, for example, when God ordered Moses to make a fiery serpent and to set it on a pole, then anyone who was bit by a snake, could then look at it and live. But as time went on, God moved, but his people didn't. And what God once moved through eventually turned into idol worship. Guys, this is a word that we've got to grab hold of this morning. I caught this word in my spirit. I was waiting on someone to give the word, all right? That, that's, a, that's allowable in this church, just so you know. But I want you to know that God is wanting to pour out the new wine, and he's not going to do it under old wineskin. Are y'all hearing me this morning? See, Israel's problem was the same that exists today amongst a lot of God's people. Like God is moving, desiring to work both in and through our lives, accomplishing his purpose. And many people, they don't perceive it. And so what they continue to do is do what they have always done. But the longer you remain in that place, the more you're limiting yourself in what God will do in through your life. The last part of Isaiah 43, 19 says, do you not perceive it. Now, this word right here, perceive, in the Hebrew, it has one of the most exhaustive, uh, extensive definitions that I've, I've ever seen, because it doesn't just mean to, to see something or to, to know something, but it carries with it a um, connotation of discovery. In other words, we are to seek out and discover what it is that God is doing. And perhaps this is what the scripture is referencing whenever it says in Proverbs 25 too, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to seek it out. But also the word perceive, it means to expect and to turn the mind towards something. And when you think about it, doesn't that sound just a little bit about what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7 when he says, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. I actually love the New Living Translation of that verse because it captures the context of what Jesus is saying, which was, keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. And church, this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Discovering what God has for you in 2023. Not what he had for you in 2022. 
that year is gone. It's, 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 it's sealed. It's done. It's past. Not what God did five years ago. Not how he moved in your life whenever you first got saved. But what God, what is he wanting to do in your life in 2023? And there's one word that we use to describe that discovery. Vision. Come on, say vision with me. Vision is the bridge between the present and the future. It's a mental picture of what could be fueled by a passion that it should be. You see, your vision is the definition of your purpose. It's your life's mission statement. And not having vision is detrimental to your walk with Christ because a person without a vision is a person without a future. And a person without a future will always return to their past. Are you with me? Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. The word perish right here, it means to to go back, to break apart, to be exposed, to be destroyed. And our adversary, the devil, knows that if he can keep us from having vision, then his mission is accomplished. Why? Because his mission is to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. And I've seen too many people in the church being robbed and their families destroyed all because they have no vision. Again, where there is no vision, the people perish. They go back. They break apart. They become exposed and they're destroyed. But I want to shift thought for just a minute, church, because what God has impressed on my heart is that there are many who are lacking vision, and the reason why is because of pain that they have experienced in life. Like they've faced a lot of of battles, and they've gotten weary, so much so that you've gotten to the point to where you don't even want to fight anymore. Perhaps they don't even see the purpose of fighting, and so they give up. See, there's another definition of perish that I didn't mention, and it's to be numb. And I believe that there are some of you that have suffered pain in life to such a degree that it's caused you to become numb. To where you feel like you have no control over your thoughts or your emotions. And it's even led to depression for some of you. Well, can I just tell you that the best prescription for depression is getting a vision from God. Because, watch this, write this down, vision gives pain a purpose. I want you to consider the example of the young man who goes off into the military. Just graduated from high school, as many in this room have done in the past. And as soon as he steps off the boot camp bus, a sergeant starts yelling at him. He marches over to the barber shop, gets his head shaved. Then he gets up early in the morning, starts to exercise with someone who's screaming at him and starts talking about his mama. (laughs) Now, just a month before, he would have never put up with any of this. When he was in high school, like he wouldn't have taken that from any of his teachers, any of his classmates. But somehow, his whole mindset has now changed. Why? He's enduring the cross, so to speak, because of the joy on the other side of it. 
He realizes that the boot camp is preparing him for a greater destiny. His vision of the future is giving his present physical discomfort meaning and purpose. See, so many of us, we go through life not understanding the purpose of our trials. We spend our days walking a crooked path believing that every obstacle that comes our way in the road is a problem and that it's something as if it needs to be avoided. But what if those obstacles were meant to be or baptisms of fire that are forging our character so that we could attain and maintain a life of greatness? I guess I could say it this way. There is purpose in the pain, and vision is what connects those dots. Let me share something else with you about uh, vision. Vision is what we see, but it's also the way in which we see it. Vision is the lens that interprets the events of our life, the way that we uh, view people, and even our concept of God. I want you to think of it like this. If we have a scratch in our glasses, then it may seem like everyone else has scratches too, but the problem actually lies with us because our vision has become impaired. Now, Jesus says that our eyes are the windows of our heart. And Paul prayed that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. In other words, we see with our eyes, but we perceive with our hearts. Like our mind receives images from our eyes, but our heart interprets those images. And if our heart becomes bitter, jealous, offended, then the lens of our heart becomes distorted. And then what we perceive as happening versus what is really happening can be two completely different things. Are you following with me this morning, church? In John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now watch this, because this word right here, truth, it's actually not referring to the Bible itself, although uh, all truth is rooted in the Bible. But the word truth here, it means reality. Jesus is saying you will understand what is real, and that will set you free. See, so many of us, we live in a virtual reality. The way we view life can look and feel real and even make perfect sense to us, but it's still not real at all. For example, how many of you have ever watched a good movie and gotten really into it? And when you did, you experienced all of the emotions of life. Well, my wife, she has uh, an addiction to Hallmark movies during Christmas time. Come on, how many of you husbands can relate to my pain right there? <laughs> well, because I have all girls in my house, uh, I end up having to watch a couple, and I watched a couple of them uh, this year. And um, here's the interesting thing. They're very predictable, right? Like you know exactly what's going to happen. Um, but watch, even though they were predictable, like I felt my emotions stirring, and yes, I even cried once. I, 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 Christian, I saw you look right there. I know some of the guys, I'm going to regret telling y'all some of that. <laughs> but it's true, right? I did, I did. I felt the emotions, and, and, and I cried. But watch this, and it's so important because I don't want you to miss this point. The point is, it was just a movie. Like it wasn't real. But you see, that's what happens in life. 
We believe that something is happening that really isn't happening. And because we've interpreted it incorrectly, we've often experienced the negative emotions that come with that misinterpretation. Now, I wanted to share that aspect of vision with you because I want you to see that vision, this thing's like a multifaceted topic here. Like it has to do with how we currently see things, but it also has to do with us being able to see it as it should be. That means that we've got to go there in our mind before we actually get there. It means we have to see what doesn't even yet exist. And this is at the heart, and this is right at the heart of having godly vision, church. You see, true godly vision consists of three things. You might want to write this down. Foresight, insight, and oversight. Foresight is like looking at life through a telescope. This outlook allows us to know uh, what's ahead as it connects us to our future. Foresight's that element of vision that helps life make sense and it gives us the motivation that we need. Kind of like the illustration that I used earlier of the young soldier going into the military. Now, insight is like viewing life through a microscope. This perception gives us understanding as to why things happen in life. It also helps us to understand the underlying motivation of the heart. It doesn't mean that we're going to understand every single part of why things happen the way that they do, because we can never fully understand why God is doing all the things that he's doing, but we can recognize that he's doing a work in us and through us in the process. And then there's oversight. And oversight is what puts life into context. I like to think of it kind of like a helicopter flying over our house. Like there's a perspective that we can only receive from this viewpoint as we understand where we are with respect to where everything else is. As a matter of fact, the sons of Issachar uh, in the scripture are great examples of this kind of vision. You can read about that in 1 Chronicles. It says that these men, they understood the times and they had knowledge of what Israel should do. And people that are blessed with this kind of vision often have great wisdom concerning the seasons of life. But I want to get practical for a moment because my purpose in sharing this message is so that you'd see the importance of vision, but even more importantly, so that you would grab hold of the vision that God has purposed for your life. And again, the vision that I'm talking about this morning, I'm not talking about the corporate vision that we're all called to, like prayer and worship, devotion, servanthood, unity, like just to name a few, but rather the specific vision that God has for your life. And so as we dive into this, let me just first just say that I know that um, many of you are at different parts of your walk with Christ. And so uh, as I'm going through these, I've just got three simple points to share with you. So you may find yourself um, at point number two or at point number three, or you may find yourself that you are starting at point uh, number one. But um, here's the process. And by the way, if, if this whole vision thing is brand new to you, because I remember the first time I heard that word, I was like, what does that mean, right? And let me just share with you that vision is our plan and purpose that God has set before the foundation of the world. And the scripture teaches us in Psalm 139 that every single one of your days were written in his books before yet one of them came to pass. Now, knowing that, that means that we need to get a hold of the one who wrote those books. 
Hello? Because whenever we find out what it is that God has purposed for our life, gosh, that's when life is full. I mean, whenever we're trying to go and write up our own blueprint or listen to what someone else says that we should do, we always come up short of how God created us and what he, how he purposed our life. So let me just start with this first point. This is the starting point. Point number one, find your passion. And I know that it may seem like that's overly simplistic, but I don't think that finding God's purpose for your life is this difficult thing. The, purpose, or the, the problem is, is that we oftentimes, we are looking for the purpose of God in the wrong places. And we look in the wrong places because we're asking the wrong question. I remember years ago, a, a friend of mine had just gotten married, and um, he accepted a job that required him to go and to move into an, another city. And it was a, he loved the city that he was in, and honestly, he, he loved the job that he was doing. And so uh, I asked him, I said, man, why, why are you moving? And, and this was his response. He says, you've got to follow the money. So he was asking the wrong question. And sadly, neither his job nor his marriage lasted. Friends, if you want to know the right answer, then ask the right question. And the right question is, what are you passionate about? I mean, think about how God has created you and, and find out what are, the things, what are the things that make you happy? What are the things that make you angry? What are the things that, that make you sad or excited? Because when you feel these emotions, like that can be a sign of your God-given purpose. But finding your passion may at first mean trying several different things before you find out what that is. Like, so don't be scared to just put your hand to the plow to find out, hey, is this it? Because there are some things that you won't discover that you're passionate about until you actually put your hands to it. I remember the conversation that I had with my pastor uh, just right after I had graduated Bible college. I went to him, and I knew that I wanted to spend uh, the rest of my days as a minister. And I told my pastor, I said, I'll do anything that you want me to do with the exception of working with teenagers. <laughs> because I had anything but a passion for them until I started working with them. And then the next 15 years of my life was spent as a youth pastor. What am I saying? I'm saying that if you've not yet found your passion, be willing to try something new. And by the way, I'm just not talking to my young people. I'm talking to my 40 and 50 and older crowd as well, okay? And don't rule out the very thing that you said that you would never do. Because you know what? I found that oftentimes God will call us to do the thing that we said that we'll never do. But let me just be sure to teach you this next truth because it is absolutely essential in discovering your passion. I mean, this, this right here is just key and will unlock it. Are you ready for this? So good. It's a misunderstood scripture, so it needs good teaching. It's Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's see, you can see that from the wrong lens and think, oh, man, delight myself in the Lord. He'll give me the desires of my heart, so awesome. So he's going to give me a Ford Raptor. Sweet, awesome, right? He's going he's to give me an awesome yellow Corvette, right? Like, that's what I want. No, no. 
that, that, that's not what the scripture's saying right here. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, the word delight in that verse, you know what it means? It means to be soft and pliable. As you delight yourself in the Lord, as you present yourself soft and pliable before the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, he will place his purposes, his desires in our heart, and then our purposes will become his passion. Church, this is what it means to have godly vision. You see, a vision from the Lord creates a mission from heaven. And a heavenly mission is one worth dying for, but even more worth living for. Now let's move to point number two. Point number one, find your passion. Point number two, make a plan. And this is a critical step in the vision rendering process. Because visions are just pipe dreams without a plan to complete them. A lot of people have a lot of lofty ideas about things that they'd like to accomplish for God, but they never seem to have a sense of how to bring about that dream and make it fulfilled. Well, thankfully, God's word has something to say about that. Let's start with this. Proverbs 15.22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You see, knowing what God has called you to is one thing, but how to carry it out is another. Because carrying it out requires more than just you. And I wonder if this isn't where a lot of people come up short, because they think that their way is the only way, and so they refuse to ask for counsel. Like, I know there's some people, they would rather let a dream die than ask someone for help. And I see this all the time as a pastor, like marriages where couples refuse to seek counsel. Finances that are a mess, but they refuse to allow someone to speak into that area of their life. Children who are running wild, but their parents' pride prevents them from reaching out to others. Friends, God said it is not good that man should be alone. Yet this is how many, peop- or how many people approach life and approach the purposes of God, alone. Listen to how the American King James Version translates Proverbs 15.22. It says, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Isn't that right there a good translation? See, I wonder how many times our disappointment came because we went it alone. Let's look at what else the Bible says about making a plan. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, and verse 2, it says, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Another translation says it this way. It says, Write the vision. Make it clear on tablets so that anyone can read it quickly. Church, again, this is a vital step in the planning process because if the vision isn't clear or whenever we're faced with challenges, We can be tempted to alter the vision. Or other people could come along and cause us to question the vision. And this is the other side of the coin regarding what I said about surrounding ourselves with counsel. Because not all counsel is created equal. Hello? You need to look at the fruit of that person that's giving you counsel. And they don't need to be a noob. Don't be going to new believers. There's mature believers that's walked this walk, that's been through the fire, that can teach you a few things about parenting, about finances, and about marriages. Are you listening to me, young people? 
Any counsel that's given must never be at the expense of the vision. See, some people will be glad to give you their counsel. But really what it is, it's just fear that is disguised as wisdom. And this will often happen whenever you're given a supernatural mission that can only be accomplished with the help of God. You guys remember, Moses had the same problem whenever he sent the 12 spies to go into the promised land to determine whether uh, they should enter. But 10 of the spies misunderstood the mission and somehow thought that they were being asked whether they should even take that land at all. But watch this. We should never settle for anything less than what God told us to do. We should never question in the valley what God spoke on the mountaintop. And so we find our passion. We make a plan. And our third and final point, I made it simple this morning, church, set a goal. Like if you will do these three things, find your passion, make a plan, and then set a goal. In Philippians 3 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew what his goal was. Do you know what your goal is? Do you have a goal? It's time to work on it. You see, goals are simply the vision broken down into smaller parts which are measurable in time and in space. In other words, they're specified parts of the mission that can only be accomplished by a predetermined date. See, many people don't like to set goals because they think that if they're not able to accomplish them on time, that somehow they, they've failed. But the truth of the matter is that if you fail to plan, then you're planning to fail. I love what Mark Batterson has to say about this. It's been uh, a mantra that I've adopted in my life. He says that deadlines are really lifelines. Now chew on that for a minute. What he means by that is that deadlines give us a benchmark because it helps set things in motion as to where we might have been tempted to put them off. I also believe that goals are necessary because it keeps us from becoming overwhelmed. Are you with me? What I mean by that is uh, when I've got like a dozen different things that, that's staring at me, sometimes the shock of all that needs to be done seems to paralyze my motivation. I remember going to my pastor many years ago when he gave me some of the, the best advice that I could possibly uh, give to you in this particular area right there. He said this one day when I was overwhelmed, having a lot at me, and he says, Chris, just do the next thing. He says, don't worry about all that other stuff. Just do what has to be done now. See, I didn't realize it at the time, but really what he was just doing was helping me to set a goal. He's saying, do the next thing, which is the most important thing. And then once you've done that, then go to the next thing. And this advice gave me the ability to move out of my motivational paralysis because it broke the vision down into goals and into steps. But every goal must begin with taking that first step. And once you've taken that one, then you take the next one. And then you take the next one. And then you take the next one. Are you following me? But the thing that I love about being a child of God is that God has promised to direct our steps if we'll trust him with all of our heart. Guys, you know the will of God and the plan of God 
we, we, we treat it as, it as if it's this mystical, elusive thing that we can never grasp a hold of. But can I just tell you something that'll set you free about the will of God? The will of God is not this mysterious, I don't think I could ever grab a hold of it. Like, I'm telling you, here, and here's why. Because God is too big to miss. And, if, and you need to understand something about God. Like, God is more passionate about his purpose for your life than you are. It's true. Like, God wants you to get where he wants you to go more than you want to get where he wants you to go. And so whenever we start seeking him with all of our heart, we find ourselves in sync with his plans and his purposes. Psalm 37, 23 and 24 says, the steps of a man are established by who? The Lord. And he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong. I see so many Christians, they never step out in faith because they're afraid that they're going to fail. You know how you spell faith? R-I-S-K. You got to take a risk. You got to trust God because if you're waiting for the stars to align and you're waiting for the blueprints to be laid before you and you think, okay, now I'll take that step, it's never going to happen. The just will live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I get the picture right now of some of you that are, you're so scared and you're afraid that you're going to fall. And it reminds me of my kid whenever we would go and we would walk near a cliff and they would be scared. And I'm like, you don't understand. I got a hold of your hand. You're in the best hands you could possibly be in. And I want to say to some of you, you're in the best hands. You're in the safest place that you could ever be right in the middle of God's hand do you not know that he is holding your hand do you not know that he promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you that's not who he is he's a good father see we get so caught we're like Peter when we step out and we experience the miraculous and Jesus is right there but all of a sudden Peter gets his Eyes off of Jesus, and he focuses on the wind and the waves. And what happens? Peter starts sinking. See, oftentimes we're, we think that that scripture right there is referencing Peter's lack of faith in Jesus. But watch this. Jesus wasn't sinking. <laughs> right? Peter doubted himself. He doubted the call of God that was on his life. He doubted the purpose of God on his life. And it's time to stop doubting. The purpose of God that's on your life. And know that if God's called you to it, he'll see you through it. And he will hold your hand every step of the way. The steps that the scripture's talking about here, church, it's talking about our day in, day out walk with God. It's that step by step, moment by moment, hour by hour decisions that we make. And the things that take up our time. And it use up our life. And can I just share with you um, what I've learned? We're all taking steps towards something. The question is, where are you headed? You see, church, it's direction, not intention, that determines your destination. We don't just drift in the right direction. Your vision 
will not become reality without constant care and attention. And this is where some truth needs to be taught, church, because I think that so many times we just expect to drift in the right direction. But there are things, responsibilities that God has, has called us to. And there's no season in life where you could just think that you could push autopilot and expect to arrive at the vision that God has put on your heart. Because seeing a vision become a reality, it requires more than just having a single burst of energy or a, a moment of creativity. It requires daily attention and daily commitment. My God, somebody needs to hear this. Because you've got these, you get especially the artistic ones of you, right? You come up with these ideas, and man, you've got to hold and know that it's a daily trusting of God and holding on to him each and every day. You can't just leave on a Sunday and be like, man, I'm excited. But we've got to continue to pursue each and every day. See, everyone wants the reward, but no one wants the responsibility. But newsflash, the two are inseparable. You see, this is what separates the dreamers from the doers, church. Grab a hold of this thought. I've shared this with you before. It's been a while. Ready? Decisions determine destiny. Decisions determine destiny. It's those that keep ever before them the presence of God, the plans of God, the purpose of God. Good alliterated preacher would get that right, all of P's. Did you see that? But the plans, the purpose, and the presence of God, those that keep that before them will live life to their fullest. Amen. Y'all stand with me if you would. We're going to do something a little different here um, as you're standing. I'm going to ask the ushers to begin to pass out the uh, communion elements, and then we're going to um, partake in communion together. I know that last week we uh, took com communion together during uh, Christmas, um, but I felt it only right that we start out our New Year's by coming together at the Lord's table. Amen. And so as the ushers pass out the communion elements, let me just wrap up today's message. Church, we all have a destiny to fulfill. God has placed before us opportunities and responsibilities that are filled with divine significance. He's given us gifts, talents, relationships that are waiting to be used on behalf of his kingdom. But you have to have vision. Vision requires patience and planning. It requires faith in God's ability to work behind the scenes. And it will call for you to take risks and to make sacrifices. And things won't always work out the way that you will expect them to. But be careful not to confuse your plans with God's vision. I mean, like, hey, sometimes, remember, plans are revised sometimes. Hello? Don't be, don't be afraid to alter your strategy just as long as you don't change your vision. And know that from time to time, you'll be uh, tempted to compromise your character for the sake of expediency, but you must resist that temptation. And also know as you do that, like you've got to also maintain your moral authority at all times. Because any true vision from God will never lead you to abandon your moral authority. Are you with me? 
I know that there'll be times when you'll feel like that you're making very little progress. But it's in those times that foundational elements are being laid, which are the key to what one day you'll see and experience. And so let me just end by saying this. Everyone ends up somewhere in life. But you and I have the opportunity to end up somewhere on purpose. So pay the price and embrace the vision. The world is depending upon.